0: 467 369 in new york call 1-800-next-step in arizona call 1-800-522-4700 in kansas and nevada call 1-800-327-5050 in massachusetts call 1-800-bets-off in iowa call one 800 270 for confidential help in michigan don't forget if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet use bonus code just baseball and get your one thousand dollar first bet offer today
1: It's right game! of the Just Baseball Show. It's August 24th. He's Jack McMullen. I'm RM Layton. And we're going to kind of jump around, talk about a few different major topics. But I think the headliner in this one, Jack, is uh, the fact that we finally have a changing of the guard in Chicago. Not talking about uh, what's going on with the Cubs. They've got nothing but good things going on over there. But on the south side, some much needed shakeup.
2: I was going to say, Brandon Johnson has been the mayor, I think, for six months or so now, and they've already changed all the signs when you're driving into the city. It doesn't say Lori Lightfoot anymore. So, yeah, uh, changing up the guard with the third most relevant. Eh, eh, third's a stretch. Um, yeah, my team growing up just fired their PBOP and their and their GM. So kind of interesting. Like, I guess I'll rant, but what else we got to hit today? We've got We've got a bunch of other stuff.
1: Yeah, some unfortunate injury situations, uh, a couple setbacks, and you know, for relevant teams, I, one being the Pirates, not as relevant. You know, O'Neill Cruz is plateaued, so it's not necessarily a setback, but yeah. I guess he's not progressing. Then you have Nick Lodolo, who's going to have to get another look at a stress reaction in his foot, which is you know pretty concerning given how long the layoff was for him, and now he's finally, you know getting towards coming back and then goes down again here that one's pretty concerning and then we're also going to talk about the trade that wasn't and and that's always fun right talking about the trade that almost was the fact that the Mets were willing to float Pete Alonso's name i think that this kind of opens up a can of worms because you know i think we could pretty much confirm this now you could feel pretty confident mike puma mentioned you know around the deadline time of the new york post that Alonzo's name had been floated in trade talks. And then Ken Rosenthal followed up very recently in the last couple of days with specifics about what kind of an iteration of a trade could have looked like with Pete Alonzo and the Milwaukee Brewers, which would have been damn fun. We could talk about that, but I also kind of want to talk about Pete Alonzo, his value, and, and, you know, maybe what the Mets should do in that whole situation. I think that'll be a, a nice portion of this episode as well. But I do want to start with the Chicago White Sox. And before we get into that, of course, this podcast is brought to you by our friends at BetMGM. What's our code
2: now? (laughs) Just baseball. All caps, one word, just baseball. Use it at sign up and uh, start betting with the king of sportsbooks. Also, shit news I just got. Shohei Otani left with the trainer in the second inning. Jesus. Okay, hopefully it's another one of those blister things. Yeah um, or something like that. Hopefully it's pitching specific and he can just sitting yes. news. Hopefully it's
1: just a hopefully a pitching thing. But also, yeah, use that code just baseball because now's the time to kind of get some of those future bets in. You get a full deposit match as well. And I, for full transparency, did just bet not very much because I don't have that much. A responsible $30 on the yeah. Philadelphia Phillies to win the World Series. Um, Whoa. I'm feeling good, man. When I was in Lehigh Valley, I was out there, you know, catching some AAA action. I'm yes. watching Jose. Alvarado. The, <laughs> yeah, the pigs and the shrimp. Yeah, the pigs and the iron pigs and the shrimp go at it. I'm watching Brandon Marsh run all over the place and look 100 percent healthy. I'm watching Jose Alvarado come out of the pen and look really good. I'm watching Christian Pache exist. And you know, at that point, I was like, man, they're gonna get some reinforcements here. I think Pache lost his job to Johan Rojas, who looks unbelievable out there, and I think he's I'm a better version of Pache. But adding Marsh to the fold for that team, really exciting. Adding Alvarado to that pen, really exciting. We didn't really have any overlap of Sir Anthony Dominguez and Alvarez because Sir Anthony Dominguez was hurt. And then right when he came back, then Alvarez went down. Now you got those two guys in there. Craig Kimbrell looks like a dog. I know we're not going to talk too much about the Phillies here, but if you want to use your deposit match and, and follow along with me... I threw 30 bucks on the Phillies, and I think I think their odds are going to get shorter and shorter and shorter. I know the Braves are a juggernaut, but there's a, a direct path to them being able to take on the Braves in the championship series where, hey, I mean, anything can happen. I can hedge at that point even if I wanted to, but I got a lot of faith in these Phils So you can either adhere to the arm
2: method, which is, you know, placing a future on baseball, or you can adhere to the Jack method, which is not betting on baseball. And instead, setting my sights on football season. Oh, yeah. Justin Fields, MVP, future and the Chicago Bears to win the Super Bowl makes a lot of
1: sense, especially when they go and get Jonathan Taylor, I think. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I also think like if you place a money line bet and it loses, you get your money back. It's all good stuff. They're they're, they're definitely... They're trying to welcome you in here, but let's start with the White Sox, who we'll be welcoming in a, a new front office very soon. And and I think it's much needed. Look, we we have a clip of a much more young faced Jack McMullen with the you know, that that song that we beat to death uh, on all of our TikToks, like the violin. Yeah, um, yeah, so- yeah. Yeah, The number five, uh, the number five GM in Major League Baseball is Rick Hahn. And it's just, it's so funny looking back at that. Javi Reyes sent that back into the chat. And, you know, it it was understandable why we had him ranked highly because at the point it was a young team and I'll I'll give you the four, but it was a young team, a system that had been built up to be one of baseball's best guys that was already starting to translate at the big league level. And you're like, okay. Now now I'm starting to see it. You talk about, and I'm going to, I'm not going to steal your point on the pre-arb thing, but started to lock up some of their best guys. And you're like, not only is this a team that's going to be really good soon, this is a team that is going to be good for a long time. We kind of thought they were going to be the Braves before the Braves. And I think that's where you were at, at a time where you were very excited about the White Sox. A lot of people were excited about the White Sox. And I want to start there. And then i want to talk about how we got to the point of where we're at now but i thought you had some excellent points when you and i were just conversing about just why rick Hahn at one point was so highly regarded and why he had your approval rating and many others yeah
2: so i'm i genuinely believed it that he was a top five executive in the game when we did that and that was from my studio apartment in fort wayne in what may or june of 2021 like that yeah. That like it feels like not long ago, but it was two years ago, man. And, and that's kind of my point. I think going into the 2022 season, yes, they were outmatched in the ALDS by Houston in 21, but going into the 2022 season in spring training, when Tim Anderson went on a local talk show and and they pretty much baited him into saying, fuck it, we're the best team in the American League because people in Chicago felt that. Like, yeah. I mean, I remember you said like the White Sox are my pick to win the World Series in 2021. Yeah. yeah. I I asked you this morning when we were just talking. I was like, was Rick Hahn a bad general manager? And your immediate reaction was yes. And then I pushed back a little bit and you were like, Yeah, I... Rick Hahn was there for 23 years. Kenny was there for longer. Um, Kenny, based on what he, some some people at NBC Sports Chicago have said, Ryan McGuffey does great work in NBC Sports Chicago. And I saw he went on the on the White Sox talk podcast I mentioned a couple things. Hahn didn't want to move burger, and Kenny kind of straight armed him into moving burger. Like it was. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was that level, and apparently, like, Kenny left an expletive-laden message to McGuffey who said something somewhat negative a couple years ago. Like, Kenny's the one that White Sox fans had a problem with. Rick Hahn, I'm really sad to see that guy go. Was he the right guy moving forward? No. Um, I thought... Joel Sherman used a great word when talking about the Yankees front office situation on MLB Network yesterday he said there needs to be some fumigation here you need to expel some people whether that's Boone whether that's Cashman whether that's the roster Um, there needed to be some fumigation done with the White Sox and I think Han and Kenny were the easy choice one and two does it suck yes have those guys been the decision makers for the Chicago White Sox for literally the entirety
1: of my fandom yes they have yeah um, you
2: know, which is unique.
1: You know, so it, it's interesting because the conversation that we had in itself almost made me realize how far away we've gotten from 2021, which was not that long ago where we were all, you know, in on the white Sox. and I'm looking at the roster right now and it's like bringing back memories of like, Oh yeah, I felt really good about this ball club. And I think that we got to the point of saying, you know, he's been a failure Rick Hahn, and you know, th- this just didn't work out and, and he's a bad GM because of the last two years just being as it's not just about them underperforming. It's it's the lack of accountability. And I'm not saying that that starts with Rickon. I think some of Rickon's biggest issues, and it might not have even been him, were were the manager hirings. Like, I think Tony LaRussa was one of the first dominoes of what really turned into a shit show. But before before we get like into that specific stuff there, for me, it was like, this guy put together a really good team, and and I, I think you saw Ozzie Guillen say that, too. I mean, you look at the 2021 ball club. Yasmani Grandel had a 939 OPS in 93 games. He was banged up. Jose Abreu, 830 OPS. They needed a second baseman. Cesar Hernandez sucked, but yeah. Tim Anderson was an all-star. Uh, Yohan Moncada, that was one of his better seasons. Um, they brought up Andrew Vaughn, which was a little crazy, but he, he – Held his own. He, he had a done. 705 OPS. Luis Robert looked like a superstar. Uh, Adam Eaton, unfortunately, fell off a cliff. But it didn't matter because the pitching staff was really solid. You had the Lucas Giolito that that we saw that was striking out 200 guys. You, had, you had Lance Lynn, who looked like a frontline guy. You had Rodon pitching like a stud. This was his kind of breakout. Hendricks is there. Kopik is in this nice little reliever role. And the rest of the bullpen was pretty solid. They looked like geniuses for rushing Garrett Crochet up. And he's pitching to a 2-8-2. Everything looked really good. And, you know, I think where things got away was 2022 doesn't go the way that you'd hoped. Yes, they get bounced from the playoffs, and that was disappointing. But then 2022 ends up being this just incredibly mediocre season. And you have nothing happen at the deadline. You have not much accountability within the team. And you have not much done in the offseason, aside from a signing of Andrew Benatendi. And letting and, your leader walk in Jose and Brady. Let, and I think I think what Rick Hahn really struggled with here was the Dave Dombrowski side of things, which is mm-hmm. how do these guys mesh? How does my clubhouse, what's the pulse of my clubhouse? And I'm not saying you have to be in there all the time as a GM I know, or an executive. I know players don't like that, but there's a balance there. And you need to have a pulse on your clubhouse. And I think Rick Hahn severely underestimated how poorly this group got along and they could have shaken things up at the 2022 deadline. I'm not saying burn it down, but you could have done something other than go get Jake Diekman and they could have shuffled things around, traded one or two guys moved it around, spent in free agency and had a little bit of a different looking team going into this year. instead they tried to run it back with a team that clearly doesn't like each other very much. And with a new manager after hiring a failed manager and and I think that was the big mistake,
2: yeah. so the the Tony thing was just a catastrophic disaster. and that was that was a Jerry Reinsdorf. I owe him a favor from thirty years ago for wrongfully firing him and he goes to have a ton of success. I think it was Oakland. Then it was St. Louis. Um, like Reinsdorf is loyal to a fault. Now I think that is the, the point that we've gotten to. Everybody has said the name of the game with Jerry Reinsdorf, one word to describe him is loyalty. And he stuck with Kenny way longer than he should have. Kenny has been making a lot of bad decisions and and Han, unfortunately has to bear the, the front of that because he has the title of general manager. Um, But those two worked in tandem. And a couple thoughts immediately rush to my mind. Um, A, you mentioned you need to have some of the human aspect. The on the field between the foul lines, Rick Hahn has done a good job. We talked about the 2022 deadline. They won the deadline. They successfully rebuilt that farm system. Think about what they've done in the draft in recent years. Colson Montgomery is a top 20 prospect in the game. Noah Schultz is a top 60 prospect in the game. They've done really well there. They've got some IFA guys. Oscar Colas climbed like a rocket ship. Brian Ramos looks excellent, dude. And, like, they've done well in that regard recently. Um, There was a fascinating note from Sherman. Uh, He said, there are three starting pitchers. And listen, this is Kenny Anaheim. Three active starting pitchers that were signed by the Chicago White Sox, either via the draft or via international free agency. Chris Sale, Carlos Rodon, and Chris Bassett. Bassett was the earliest, I think. Sale might have been the earliest. But rodan was the last one third overall in 2014 that's the last starting pitcher that they have signed either out of the draft or an international free agency let's hope schultz is the next guy um but dude like when i think about that clubhouse i just watched that clip of eloy jimenez being asked the question from bruce levine and and we can get to that man um he said, Impairs. you know, I know, there's, I know there's been a conversation about a lack of leadership. Have you guys had a conversation about who's going to step up as a leader? And Eloy just said, not really. Not really. No. And I think Ozzy Guillen hit it. He was like, the reason Kenny and Rick got fired is because of them. They cut off the head of the snake, but it's the torso that choked them to death. Like, those players are shitheads, it seems. And but- I just want to applaud real quick. I just want to applaud Jose Abreu. Because that dude masked so many deficiencies in that clubhouse. Nobody had any clue that it was this dysfunctional. And now it looks as dysfunctional as like the Gilbert Arenas Wizards locker rooms. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. been the worst clubhouse in sports. And the fact that Abreu was able to keep that thing super glued, I commend him
1: and I miss him so much. Yeah, and I think that's, again, like, I think they did a really good job of building a talented team. Could they have predicted that Yoan Mankata would be made of glass, that Luis Robert would be made of glass, Eloy, that Aloy would be made of glass. I mean, it, those are things that I think are kind of out of their control and unfortunate. And yeah, if they tried to fix it, it could have got uglier. It could have got worse. They could have went and made moves and, and been even more stuck. But I think the paralysis and it just getting worse and worse and worse really soured everybody to, to, to the situation in general. Like you had to shake things up, especially when you watch the effort on the field, you watch what's going on, you know, in snippets. Like that's what you're publicly getting. Luis Roberts saying, I'm not a leader. I just play baseball. Like nobody wants to to lead the way there. And I know they're grown men and, you know, you, you, you don't necessarily need to you know have somebody telling you what to do. But you also have grown men who are veterans like Ozzy Guillen, who was played and managed and all these other guys that say, you need somebody to kind of set the tone in that clubhouse. And there's nobody doing that in Chicago. And that's where Rick Hahn and Ken Williams needed to identify something and needed to try to make something happen. I don't, I'm not saying it would have worked, but you had to shake something up last year or in the off season and running it back with this same group minus your glue. And I know J- I know Jose Abreu's been horrible this year and been hurt but running it back with the same team basically Sands your glue to me is is the biggest mistake you can make and I think that's ultimately what did them in I don't think it's all their fault but you got to be able to identify when a clubhouse is fractured and try to fix it and I think like the Marlins had a pretty fractured clubhouse last year and yeah. they shook things up and you got to give them credit for that. Like that there's certain guys that they got out of there. There's certain guys that they brought in. I mean, the Marlins need a shortstop right now. They do. And the guy that, you know, he's not great, but there's a guy that's playing shortstop for the Dodgers that could help them right now. But for the sake of the the, the clubhouse, a guy that was once a leader was not a fit in that clubhouse anymore. They shook it up. You can't be afraid to do stuff like that.
2: Yeah, no. And, and they were terrified to do so, dude. And knowing what we do now... In this market of Major League Baseball, in this market of big money contracts, I'm giving Jose Abreu a three-year $75 million if you tell me that this production that he's got in Houston is what you're getting. For him to come back to the White Sox <laughs> and football, I'm not on
1: crack. Dude, think about what the fuck just happened since Abreu left. That think, team is in sucking. ruins. I think them sucking brings it to a head, too. That would be the biggest contract in team history. For a guy, yeah, for, for, five for, years a, in for a psychologist, AAB, yes, for a psychologist, for for a team mental coach, dude. I mean, I know, I, I know what you're saying though. I do know what you're saying. Like, I
2: hear you. the The thought that he could come back to production, and even if he, okay, we went into it blind, and it's like, all right, this offseason, you know, if if Jose Abreu hit the open market, and he said the only way I come back to the White Sox is four years for eighty. Like I'm saying no, but then when he goes down to three years for 60, I'm like, I'll think about it. Yeah. Because that's how important he was. Now obviously I'm not doing it because it's already we're already so far gone. But I'm telling you, if if White Sox fans knew what they knew now, they would be distraught over Jose Abreu leaving. Because yeah. this guy, like, I I don't know. It's he was doing he was working miracles with that. The point that I was going to make contractually with the white Sox is they did a good job with, with this stuff. Like it just wasn't the right cast of characters and this clubhouse dysfunction is bad. But the point that you started to make and, and Taylor Davis, I kind of echoed this. I always thought it, but I didn't know really how to put it into words until Taylor helped me with that. When they extended Michael Harris and Strider and Murphy this past off season, right. Um, but Taylor was like, "You know who was doing the Braves thing before the Braves were it was the White Sox," and I was like, "You're spot on. That's exactly what they were doing before he debuted." Luis Robert got a six-year, fifty million dollar extension. That's the best deal in baseball. Six besides for Acuna, besides Acuna, yes. exactly. Six for fifty for that guy. Yeah, Yohan Moncada at time of a pre-arb extension, five for seventy. Looked amazing. It looked Obviously, amazing. it hasn't looked like it since coming into this year. Six for 25 for Tim Anderson. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And Eloy Jimenez, look at his 162 game pace. They Just couldn't stay, stay healthy. Yeah. Like he couldn't stay healthy. But like Eloy, six years for 43 for a guy that is 35 pacing like 35 pumps. I mean, dude, I thought all of those made a ton of sense. I, all
1: I agree. Of them. I agree. And it's just, so there's a level of like, why can't they stay healthy? What's going on? Why is it all of these guys that, that can't stay healthy? And again, maybe, maybe there was a little bit more of, of IDing into the makeup that needed to be done. You know, I mean, some guys just have bad injury luck. Some guys don't, there's obviously a level of makeup concerns just from the lens of getting along in the clubhouse in terms of hustle, in terms of these things. So maybe that was the one oversight for, for Rick Hahn here. And, and, Ultimately, he got the worst possible scenario of a bunch of guys that are just kind of playing like shitheads and and carrying themselves like shitheads. It's that simple. I will say though, the one thing is okay. Well, first of all, I didn't love the Jake Berger trade for the Marlins at first, just because I'm like, oh, okay, you're getting a big whiff third baseman, and you're that like that's what you cash your best trade chip in for. Obviously, Berger gets with the Marlins, um, and and has already made some tweaks to his swing. Uh, with Brant Brown, former Dodgers hitting coach, now the Marlins hitting coach, and he's been awesome. But from a White Sox perspective, I don't totally – I i don't I didn't totally get it from their end either. Like, okay, you get an arm. But Jake Berger, like, Yoan Mankata you can't count on. Jake Berger is a guy that you have six years of control of. Like it's surprising for a rebuilding team to, to do that. And now you're hoping that eater turns into a big league yarn. Then mm-hmm. I look at some of the smaller moves that they made recently. I thought they did really well in the deadline. Overall. We talked about that, like to get Edgar Caro to get some of these guys that they got, I thought they did a really good job, but some of the moves they made in the past, like, especially at that, that last deadline, it wasn't just that they did nothing. They moved Reese McGuire and for Deakman, for Deakman Reese McGuire would have been their everyday catcher this year and probably would have helped them. What, what what is Deekman doing for you? Uh, some of those smaller moves I thought were, you know, didn't go as well as they had hoped. And that's where it's surprising to me because it's like they made they tried to make between the margin moves. They didn't go great. and I think they would have just been better off going for these bigger moves that could actually move the needle for them when they stalled out. But look, I think this is a sign of better times for the White Sox. I think it needed to be done. I think you need somebody with a new perspective here and someone that has no attachment to these guys, someone that didn't give these guys, these pre-arb deals and doesn't give a shit. Like someone that's okay with shipping some of these dudes out and, and reshuffling. And I think that's exactly what they need to do this off season. I think Eloy should be in another Jersey. I think one or two other guys should be in another Jersey and you need to, I think, totally shift the vibe in this clubhouse It needs to feel like a different place. Okay. So I agree
2: based on what Bob Nightingale was reporting, and I have no idea what the validity is to any of this because the initial Nightingale report was that Tony LaRusso was back as an advisor to help with the hiring process. And Ryan McGuffey of NBC Sports Chicago said, that's not true. Um, I don't know what's true and what's not. Nightingale has a good relationship with Jerry Reinsdorf. But what I've read that hasn't been shot down is apparently the leader in the clubhouse in this regard. And before I do that, my mind immediately went to, okay, wow, I'm really sad for Rick Hahn. Good that Kenny's gone, but that's, you know, bittersweet. Like these guys are both, you know, out of here and they've been the decision makers again for my entire White Sox fandom life. Um, I texted you guys, that news I got like 10 minutes before first pitch yesterday. First inning I texted in that big, just baseball group. And I was like, I want James Click so bad. Click is the VP in Toronto right now, but Click would yeah. leave for a lead job anywhere, and Stern seems like a match. Um, so I was like, I want James Click so bad. And then I was like, I could do with John Daniels too, who was previously in Detroit or Texas. Sorry, but then the report today from Bob Nightingale was it's looking like Dayton Moore will factor into the future. And it's looking like Chris Getz will be elevated. Chris Getz, the farm director, who was the mastermind behind Behind Project Project Birmingham, Birmingham. which, again, a reminder, Project Birmingham was don't care what level you're at. Don't care what you're doing. Lions surround themselves with lions. So we're going to put all of our top prospects all on the double A roster and Colson Montgomery, who went from low A to double A hit about got a buck 50
1: and got West,
2: hurt. <laughs> yeah. Man. West cough hit about 100. Like there were Ryan so Ramos many, hit a wall. There are so many guys that were really good and looking like good prospects that went to double and fucking sucked because yeah, but at the least they idea. got to all
1: suck together. But yeah. this idea, idea sucked and was like a horrible idea.
2: I know Getz has done some good stuff with development. I do know that Project Birmingham was a failure. It was a failure. So if you're going to take a guy that has been very clearly anti-analytics in Dayton Moore, and that's why it didn't work in Kansas City, and you're going to pair him with a guy that said, hey, we'll take an 18-year-old that doesn't know how to hit high-A pitching and put him in double-A, welcome to the Chicago White Sox experience. Yeah. And I, I yeah. truly believe that this should be the last time that we talk about the White Sox. And I know that was a bit like last week, Peter told me this is the last time we're talking about the Yankees. And then we talk about it on the Tuesday show. And I'm like, dude, we got to stop doing this. Like,
1: I mean, yeah, but, no fun. but the White Sox, I mean, the White Sox are a team that like, this is pivotal. Like they've got a lot of assets. They've got a lot of pieces here that one could either make a difference for their organization or one or two could make a bit difference in another organization. And, you know, if they... <laughs> The thing with Dayton Moore, look at the Kansas City Royals for the first time ever, like since the Dayton Moore era, they're developing pitching through from top to bottom, through the minor leagues all the way up to the big leagues. And I know the big leagues is not as good, it's just a bad team right now. Dayton Moore would be a disaster hiring for the White Sox. And I think it'd be more of the same. So yeah, to wrap up on them, you know, system is better. I thought they did well at the deadline. They do have some pieces. They can write this ship, but I think you got to move off of a couple of these guys. And I'm interested to see how they approach it this off season, whether they go full youth and, you know, say, we Sosa, you know, go do your thing. Some of these other young guys go do your thing. Or if they try to sign a couple free agents, use some of the money that they save with Grandal off the books and whatever, and go from there. Um, but I think, I think they should have traded Dylan Cease. I stand by that. And I think the rest of this season, they should play Colas. They should... Bench Andrews and play Lenine and Sosa so, and see what you got and and start building for the future. But uh I I I think honestly, if those are the guys they hire, Jack, the issue the issue is Jerry Reinsdorf. And we know that. Th- that's the thing, man. Like we've had this conversation, we've been talking about it for
2: 20 minutes. Everybody knows that the issue is Jerry Reinsdorf everybody in chicago exactly. and like there's nothing you can do about that because you don't fire owners that's just how that works so
1: unless they you know, unless they pull a donald sterling
2: yes exactly but that's not going to happen because sterling was legit racist and reinsdorf is just bad at owning a team um yeah. he, by all accounts seems like a good dude i, I guess, guess yeah i think so like yeah whatever whatever bad at what he does bad at what he yeah. does um yeah man so i i think that they did the right thing by moving off those two guys, but if they do hire Dayton Moore and Chris Getz to kind of in tandem run the show, I'm going to be really disappointed as a White Sox fan, and honestly, the entirety of that fandom will be lost. I'm already, you know, pretty much out because we've talked about it working in sports. It's just really hard to keep any sense of fandom, and I don't. Well,
1: have... especially when the team stinks. When the like, sti- when the team stinks for sure, and they're just frustratingly lost. But yeah, I mean, and, I'm I'm with you on that. And, and hold me to this until the World
2: Series is over. this is the last time that we talk about the Chicago White Sox because it is not worth anybody's time to talk I'm about this you. organization I'm with
1: you. I mean, this was important though and and this is uh, you know one of the bigger bigger news things for a while. I mean, one of the longest tenured execs. And I, I'd say yes and no. We'll probably talk about them once they hire another president and and GM but other than that I have no interest in talking about this roster unless Tim Anderson gets slept again if it's other than that I don't really care if it's Dayton Moore and gets I want you and Peter doing that show I'm not talking sounds good to me so we'll move on to some other topics here and you know we'll we'll save I think Alonzo and the Mets for last that's another team that's kind of frustrated and and is that that's willingness though to 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 make some moves and think outside the box but let's talk about O'Neill Cruz first uh the the report is that he has plateaued in quotations in his attempt to rejoin the Pirates putting his season in jeopardy that comes from Justice De Los Santos of Emily.com as well as Jason Mackey of the Pittsburgh Post Gazette vague but I think you can kind of put together it just means he's not on the recovery track that you know, we were hoping and that the pirates were hoping. And, you know, at this point, man, pirate season's over. O'Neill Cruz has a chance to be one of the more special talents in major league baseball and why rush it? He made a Gilbert arenas reference. And honestly, another important Gilbert arenas reference is that he rushed back from a knee issue and his career was never the same. This is a team that season is over. This is a dude that's six foot seven. I I think you call it this year even if he's ready in 3 weeks just just give him just give him time get right come back next year you got a lot of years ahead of you to be one of potentially the best players in major league baseball if it all clicks let's let's pump the brakes if if it really is a plateau here Yeah, uh, that was
2: as simple as I was going to put it, just shut it down. Like just reassess, like come come in 100% to spring training. There's no need to fight through it 65, 70% through the end of the year. And I I may feel differently. I would definitely feel differently if they were in the wildcard hunt. I would definitely feel differently if O'Neal was in arbitration. And I would probably feel different if he was in the final year pre-arb. But this is his first year. He's got two more years of pre r before this. So like, yeah, yeah. there's no need to rush this. You're going to make your money down the road. Like you're not going to get paid in R1 for what you do in September of 2023 when you don't hit it until 26. So and- I think there should be no urgency from O'Neill's camp and there should be no urgency from the Pirates front.
1: I'm with you. And then also, you know, I kind of want to see what the rest of this ball club can do. You Already know O'Neal's got a spot on the 2024 roster. Yeah, Leover Piguero's been pretty good. You know, yeah. Some of these other guys have been decent. Like, I want to see those guys get reps and see, you know, who can kind of solidify a spot on, on the roster next year. So I, I think there's no reason to rush, but I will say this this pirates team, man, like Peter and I were talking on the mailbag about like teams that you know are out of the playoff hunt right now that could be contenders next year. I don't think the pirates have the pitching just yet. Yeah. But it's coming together, man. This is a, I mean, you're seeing it. You're, you're at the, you're, you're the appetizer to the big leagues in Indianapolis and there's a lot of talent there. There's guys that have already moved on from there uh, to, to the big leagues. And I could see this team starting to come together and be, be a fun, a fun ball club next year.
2: Yeah, I think so. And Skeens, it seems like he's going to be there very quickly next year. Like, I mean, dude, maybe I have no idea. Um, But they have a lot of options there. Like if Jared Jones figures stuff out, you know, front couple of months of next year, he'll be up. Uh, so looks like he's on the fast track. He'll be up. So pitching reinforcements are coming and you're right, man. It's a chance to see like, I really like Alika Williams as a guy. I think he's an amazing defender. Is the bat good enough to be a third middle infielder on a major league roster? Let's find that out over the last good bit of time. Lee over same thing. Jared Triolo just got option. Triolo was doing a great job at at third base when key Brian Hayes was out. They're trying him at second. They're trying him at short. What do you got? Nick Gonzalez, like test your depth right now and see what you got. When O'Neill is back.
1: The Cincinnati reds have been testing their depth in the pitching department all year long. And you know, Hunter green was a much needed, addition back to the fold he got shelled in his first outing it happens you know and he had some rust to shake off and you know he's just always going to be susceptible to those you know serial long ball outings when he's not commanding the fastball you know and it's over the middle he's always going to be a guy that's susceptible to the long ball but lodolo is a guy they needed back really bad because when when he's healthy I mean, he had a stretch last year where he was one of the best pitchers in baseball for a stretch of about five, six, seven starts. It was pure dominance uh, and and finished it really strong. Pitched to a three, six, six overall last year. Uh, There was a lot to like from what we saw struck out more than 11 per nine. Unfortunately has been dealing with this stress reaction in his left tibia, which is like, I don't even know what that is. Like that sounds terrible. And they initially called it a calf strain. Now it's this stress reaction in his tibia. He was in a walking boot. Then he shed the boot in July. He started ramping up with the goal to return in late August. And then all of a sudden, he's kind of back with a flare-up and you know doesn't look like he's going to return from the IL in August. First of all, this is why the Reds weren't – and you could look at it the other side and say, well, they should have been more aggressive at the deadline. No, this is why the Reds weren't aggressive at the deadline because you're going to get Hunter Green back and he's going to have to shake off rust. You didn't even know if you were going to get Nick Lodolo back. If you had Michael Lorenzen – this team is still in so much trouble. but And we'll get to that in a second because I had so many Reds fans are like, I don't care about this prospect. I don't care about Sal Stewart. I would have happily traded him for whatever. You I care. get it. But you wouldn't feel that way when you, have, when you end up finishing at 500 and Lorenzen's a free agent, right? So I think the Reds kind of knew that there was a lot of unknown around their two best arms here. And not only that, I mean, Abbott's gonna hit really close to an innings limit very soon. It, the Reds have been an awesome story this year. And the fact that they've been able to do this despite the injuries is is really impressive. They're still in the hunt, Jack. And that's why this one's tough. They're four games up, you know, they're four games over 500. They're like a half game out of the playoffs, maybe even in, in a wild card spot by the time this is this is published. But are you rushing Nick Lodolo back? No. Are you trying to push him in?
2: No, absolutely not. Um, th- the 2023 Reds might have the horseshoe as far up their behind as I've seen with another Major League Baseball team. Like the 2021 Giants in a different way, but I just kind of thought that was a platoon masterclass. Like they protected everybody. The Reds, I mean, dude, Luke Weaver had like an ERA in the high sixes, low sevens, and he was winning. Like the Reds were winning every single time he ran out yeah. there. The offense was Amazing during that stretch. And it was all rookie predicated. McLean had a 900 OPS. Ellie looked like Prime Bonds meets Ricky Henderson meets Jesus. It was insane. So you can't bank on everybody's going to normalize. And this is the normalized version of the Cincinnati Reds. Is it a young, fun, exciting team? Hell yeah. Am I tuning in as often as I can? Hell yeah. But are they a World Series contender? No. They never were. If they had Lodolo and Green for the whole year, maybe i changed change my lens on that. And that's not hindsight talking, man. Like, they were running out Levi Stout consistently. You can't can't do that if you're a postseason team. Um, So I, I think, like... There's no point in in rushing this Lodolo thing. You mentioned Abbott's nearing an innings limit. Abbott has been awesome. If I'm going to take anything away from the Reds, it's we should have a ton of confidence going into next year when we get 162 of McLean, when we get 162 of De La Cruz, when we get 162 of CES, and when we've got some money to spend on a frontline starter in front of Lodolo in green. How about a reuniting with Sonny Gray? If you have yep. sunny is the one lodolo green ashcraft and
1: abbott oh my god yeah or you know what you've been selling out games you've been averaging a ton of fans i know cast castellini loves to to cry poor just like john angelos who yeah but oh they've god. given out yeah. extensions man well yeah they have and wasn't that quote from angelos just brutal he just used all the economic buzzwords to just say i'm i'm cheap uh yeah. but like go get a yoshinobo yamamoto like i they've they've shown the willingness to go into that market it hasn't always worked for them yeah go they will get be a yamamoto young, yeah but, but like that to me like that's that's the area where if you're a mid market team i mean look at kodai sanga that's a guy that was not that expensive relatively speaking if he was a stateside pitcher who put up these exact numbers and hit free agency he would have got over a hundred million dollars he, because you don't know what you're going to get it's a different baseball like there's so many variables y- you got to back off Yamamoto's yeah, even safer than Sanga. like that's the splash I would make here right and that's why I think Reds fans are frustrated I think they're not going to be frustrated come off season and then maybe next deadline because instead of trading some of those assets that you would have traded here to try to put lipstick on a pig I was saying it was almost like putting a like a spoiler on a 2005 like ford focus you know, I like it's like that. okay it's not going to go faster now like it, it that's it, yeah you change the tires out on a car with an engine that barely works nice like that's how it looked like for me if you were going to go get a rental starter yeah now you have those assets if this team is good next year which we expect them to be they're going to be better in a lot of different facets cash in those assets and go get a stud like mm-hmm. go get it go get like an ace type pitcher go get an impact player you don't make moves just to make moves and again I know Reds fans are gonna be like well what are we doing we're just sitting here whatever I think this Nick injury I think Hunter Green struggles I think you look at the rotation it's been ass I don't know how they've won so many games this year like Andrew Abbott's been a godsend absolute godsend but imagine this team makes the playoffs what's the playoff rotation
2: it's Abbott is the
1: one it's green is the two and it's Ashcraft is the three, sure. Ooh, this rotation has a five three seven ERA this season. The only ERA is worse, and I know they pitch in a tough park. but The uh-huh. only ERA is worse. Colorado, Oakland. Like the White Sox aren't worse. I thought the White Sox were pretty close. Well, actually, they are worse. No, they're not worse. Four eight five. Oh, how about that? But like, even just for the sake of argument here, I want to see like road. Like how if they pitched on the road, I don't think I could get that split on here. But like, just to wrap up on Lodolo, I've always liked him more than Green, and I still do. But the one there's there's a lot of things that I've heard around him as a prospect, and one of them had been work ethic and you know being in shape and those kinds of things. And I don't know if a stress fracture in your tibia has to do with that, but he has been very injury prone in his career. Yeah, it's pretty well documented that frustrations with work ethic have been a part of lodolo's I would say polarizing prospect status interesting right? because some have kept him off some have had him really high um I don't ever really think it's been about the talent and look how many innings this guy's thrown as a pro it's been hard for him to stay on the field so it's tough it's tough I don't know exactly how things are going to look but I think knowing that the injury risk that you have between Lodolo and green, go out and get a starter, like a Yamamoto, like one of those rare guys that you can lock up for six, seven years and, and know that you're in good shape for a while. Um, but I still feel good about the reds long-term. I think they're going to be in a good spot, but I think this, uh, Lodolo update, how do you, like, do, do you think they have any chance compared to some of these other wildcard teams? Like, are they better off than the Marlins? Are they better off than uh the Giants? Are they better off than the D backs? Are they better no. off than any of those teams? No. They're in the they're in the worst spot. I think that
2: it's gonna be like, I don't know. In terms of the National League wildcard focus, I would almost immediately rule out the Cincinnati Reds, as crazy as it sounds. I think if I had to pick three right now, it's um who am I thinking of in the uh in the West? Arizona. Um, I'm thinking of the Cubs, and I'm thinking of the Phillies. Those are my three wild card teams. And like I San Francisco can hang around, Miami can hang around, but I've got way less faith in the Reds hanging around than the other two.
1: I'm with you on that. It's just too hard every every single day with that rotation. So hard. And Abbott maintaining what he's been able to do.
2: Yeah, you're asking him to be a sub three. Every time he yeah. takes the rubber and he has been, I really appreciate that about him. And I'm as excited to watch the career of Andrew Abbott unfold as any young pitcher in baseball right now, mm-hmm. because what this guy's done with that place as his home ballpark is super commendable.
1: Very, very impressive. We're going to get, we're going to wrap up on the, on the Mets Alonzo thing real quick though. Mike Trout's back. Yeah. Um. Cool. Like, Nice. And, Otani's okay. out now. <laughs> yeah, well, let's say Otani's selfie It's arm what, fatigue. He'll what
0: per,
1: What percent chance do you put the 61 and 65 Angels running the table with Mike Trout back? Um, And by running, I just mean like getting into the Yeah, playoffs. getting in. They're nine and a half out. Five? I, I was going to say like 2%. Yeah, Really sad. Really tough. We'll see how things go the rest of the okay. way wait it's since mickey
2: mickey fucking mantle comes back to the la angels and we say so what
1: yeah (laughs) welcome to the la angels experience (laughs) yeah welcome to it man and it's amazing like the day after like otani gets hurt there's some voodoo hex curse on that team i don't know what it is nuts all right so we'll wrap up with this little ken rosenthal bit uh that he put out there
2: What, what Real quick, one quick thing that I saw right before we took the air that I totally forgot to tell you about was um, Susan Waldman, who longtime radio announcer for the Yankees, hot mic incident. She said, God, this is boring in regards. <laughs> to- and she's like catching a little bit of flack for that. Why is she catching flack? It is. It's boring as hell. I don't blame her for saying that at all.
1: Yeah, I don't blame her at all. I will say, though, a little bit more exciting now that Everson Pereira is up. Yep. A little bit more yeah. exciting to watch him. Oswald Peraza, like, yes, I'd rather watch him than whatever else they're rolling out there. Greg Allen, instead of Everson, Pereira was crazy. Everson Pereira has some of the best raw power in the minor leagues. Very excited to see him up there. He hit a home run 115 miles an hour the other day. Like, this guy's got juice. Swing and misconcern, but you know what? He can inject some life into that ball club. Thank goodness they finally called him up. Let's have some fun. Mets. This would have been really fun. Yes. But it didn't happen. But it could happen still in this offseason. The Mets have I've reportedly discussed extension, like ex- an extension with Pete Alonso. They seem to be far apart. And at the end of the day, Pete Alonso is a first baseman. The Mets are in, they don't want to admit it, but they're in rebuild mode. We've seen that. And Alonso is a free agent in what would be 2025. So to, next year is his last year of control. This would have been like kind of the best chance to cash in. They could probably cash in going into this off season and still get a nice little haul for him with a full season of control. But once you get to the deadline next year, you're not going to get much for, you know, you'll get something decent, but you're not going to get that haul of all hauls. The names that were floated by Ken Rosenthal in trade talks was basically anybody not named Jackson Chorio. It was Sal Freelick. Of course, that was kind of before freelick really went nuts over the last month. It was Jefferson Caro, who's one of my favorite prospects in the game and a top 20 prospect at Just Baseball. It was uh, – who else did he mention? Jacob Mizorowski, who's one of the nastiest Freelich. guys. Sorry, I said Freelick. Al Freelick. Oh, yes. I said yeah. And uh, Jacob Mizorowski, who's top 60 prospect at Just Baseball. And kind of any iteration of those groups of guys, a couple others, maybe Garrett Mitchell, whoever else. That would have been a haul for the Mets, and I honestly think that it might have been worth it. But at the same time, Pete Alonso is kind of the heart and soul of this fan base for better and for worse. I don't think many teams and and fan bases love their own more than the Mets love Pete Alonso. And, and, you know, he's a guy that plays hard. He's a guy that's been nothing but productive for them. His 162-game average for them is 46 fucking home runs. Yeah. You have the money how are you just just extend him right like it yes it's going to take a lot of um
2: like individual digging for me but you mentioned like per 162 it's 46 and like 117 right or 120 119 yeah i mean it, i i have to go through like each guy's bio on a per 162 basis but among active players i think he's probably considered the best power bat in all of baseball it's him or judge
1: i assume yeah, you know, and like Olsen's in there. Olsen's you know, like, in Otani's yeah. now in there with the with the production. But if you go by full 162 average at this present moment, what you get from Matt Olsen is 41 and 110, God. which is gross. And that's going to go up as this year continues. Yeah. And then what you get and, – and I thought Olsen was an interesting comp because Olsen got eight years 168 with – Two years of leverage against him, meaning two years of control leverage against him. Yeah. The the Mets were working with a year in change. So now you're going into this offseason, you have one year of control to leverage. Let's call it around 200, because when Maddelson signed this deal, he didn't do what he is doing right now, but he did have 39 pumps in Oakland, which to me is almost the same as what he's doing right now. Yes. A 911 OPS in Oakland to me is a 971 OPS in, in Atlanta. It's almost the same thing.
2: Yeah. Um 200
1: million, 200 million for Pete Alonso. Are you are you doing that? He's 28 years old, 29 years old. Like to me, it's a no-brainer.
2: Yeah, it is a total no-brainer. Um, especially because he doesn't punch out. Like he's as close to the perfect power bat as you'll find. Judge is 49 and 110, by the way. 49 out of per 162 is insane. But Olsen man, yeah, I extend him. That guy's a met. Um, but if the Brewers can get this thing done, I know they will extend him in the blink of an eye. They've had a first base identity
1: crisis for a long time. I know. Long time, probably since Prince. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And and you know what's the funniest part is, is like, if you put him there, he's hitting 50. And you can say what you want about RBI, but there's certain guys, I was talking about this with uh, Matt Mervis, actually, because he had so many RBI. In the, in, in the uh, minor leagues last year. I think he led the, the minor leagues. He had over 100. He's still over yeah. 60 already. He's on pace for like 80 or 90 this year. And that's with a gap of struggles in the big leagues. And, and I asked Merv about it. And I also was asking a couple buddies about this at, you know, in, in other minor league systems. And Merv just said there's something about an RBI opportunity where, for me, my job almost gets easier because I focus on a specific goal. You it's click not it. Make something happen in terms of I gotta go deep. I gotta split a gap. Like sometimes you're kind of aimlessly hitting. Then you you have an RBI opportunity and your focus is let me drive the ball in the air. And then you end up, whoops, I hit a home run. Or it's I all I have to do here is hit a ground ball in the infield because the infield's back and I'll get a run in. Whoops, I shot it through the hole. And if you don't, then you drive the run in. There's guys that get a sense of calm in RBI opportunities, and Pete Alonzo is one of them, man. 120 in his rookie season, 131 last year. His down year, quote unquote, was 94 in 2021. And he already has 95 this year on a team that's been kind of shit. So, like, that's there's something about it. And for me, Alonso's worth 200 mil. I don't care that he's a first baseman. Same,
2: same. I couldn't agree with you more. And I guess that's like my old head take. I never really pitcher wins was like the one that I immediately scrapped. I was like, those are stupid as shit. I, you know, 20 game winner, 20 game winner is cool. Yeah. If a guy's a 20 game winner, I really appreciate that. If he's 18 and four, I really appreciate that. But like reliever wins, no, get that out of my face. Um, RBIs is the one that I've always kind of pushed back on. And that's, I guess, like my boomer take, but I don't even think that's a boomer take. Um, RBI, like, Think about the game you grew up playing in Little League. Was your goal zone contact? Come on, yeah. like was your goal 90th percentile EV? Like it was men at second and third. I want two ribbies right now.
1: Yeah, that's no, how I mean, everybody's it's... taught baseball. Even even in college, I've seen per- I've seen big league BP, dude. I watched I watched Mike Napoli throw to Anthony Rizzo um, in a batting cage, and uh, when I was working at at the specific facility before we launched just baseball and everything. Napoli was ripping them in there, by the way. He's a hilarious guy. And you know what Napoli was doing every single pitch? Yelling a different situation at Anthony Rizzo. Man on third, one out, rips a fastball, like, up and in at him. Like, you know, man on second base, no outs. Rizzo's trying to yank something to second base. Like, it wasn't just, let me tee off here with the hit tracks on and see how many home runs I can hit. It was how many swings can I take in 10? That's Mike Napoli throwing to Anthony Rizzo, you know, like, and if that's what they're doing, like it matters, man. Like there's a level to it. There's a lot of it that can be out of your control, but there's levels of it that are in your control. And if you're really good, you can control it a little bit more. So I think Alonzo's one of those guys. And you mentioned how he doesn't strike out that much. To me, that speaks to the ability to hit uh, and, and his ability to kind of make something happen and manipulate the barrel and put a ball in play. Yeah. You extend them to an eight, nine year deal. You have time to make this team better. Oh, if yeah. The Mets didn't make the system the way it is. If they didn't get a drew Gilbert, if they didn't get a Ryan Clifford, if they didn't get a Luis on Helen then maybe I say, okay, yeah, trade, trade the first baseman. But now again, like, okay, you get Sal free. I I'm hoping drew Gilbert's going to be right around there. I know they're slightly different players, but I think they can be very similar in terms of production. Um, you know you go get a couple of these different guys like that's kind of what you already got at the deadline like it's more volume but I'd rather have Pete Alonso because not all these guys are going to work out I I I appreciate the Mets considering it but I think they did the right thing by holding him and I don't think they should trade him this offseason and I don't think they will trade him this offseason yeah
2: I don't think so either um I I think you make a great point because like Gilbert and Freelick, both short kings, both like bat to ball oriented, good defensive outfielders. Why do you want Jefferson Carroll when Alvarez looks like the future of your franchise? Yeah.
1: Jacob Mesrowski could be a reliever.
2: Yeah. Like let's keep the generational first baseman. Let's keep the guy that can go into Cooperstown on the pace that he's in right now with your hat on a plaque. Pete Alonso is young. But if I had to put together a list of guys that are on a Hall of Fame track, the guys under 30, that list would include Pete
1: Alonso. I like, Let's wrap on this. He needs to hit 500 home runs, of course, to get in the Hall. Yeah. And I think he'll be among some of the more impressive RBI people. He got a little bit of a later start for Hall of Famers at 24 years old as a college guy. He has the rookie of the year under his belt. He already has three All-Stars. You know, We'll see if he ever gets the MVP. It's pretty hard for first baseman. They don't usually work, count that against you as hard. Let's say he finishes this year with, let's just round it up to make it easier. Let's say he's, he's not going to hit 15 more, but it'll be close enough. 200 home runs, and he's going to be 29 years old next year. What does he have to do to get to 500? If he, like, he's not going to keep this 162 pace. So it's, let's say it's seven years of a 40 home run pace. What does that put him at? That puts him at 280. So 280, he'd be just short at just that pace. And that's conservative because he could be old and like hitting 15 a year and limp to 500. And once you get 500, like you're an auto Hall of Famer, right? Like that's one of those numbers where there's like, no matter what, you're a Hall of Famer. If you don't get popped
2: for juice and you hit yeah. 500 homers, you're in and there's no questions asked. Yep.
1: Yep. So gun to your head. is Pete? Does Pete Alonso finish a Hall of Famer? Yes. I think I'm going to say yes too. Yeah, which is crazy to say. It's pretty cool, man. It's, and it's the New York. The New York thing it. helps too. It does. No matter what anybody likes to say.
2: Well, and the other thing that'll help even more is if he spends his entire career with one franchise.
1: Yeah. Two-time home run derby champ too. I, that's what I look for in a Hall of Famer. Yeah. It's like Hank Griffey got in right. Uh, yes, because he hit that ball off the warehouse. Yeah, that was it. That was yards. the main case. That was it, man. Uh, all right that'll do it that's our episode we got the three of us tomorrow uh reminder that we are breaking down the entire top 100 list on the call up uh Mm -hmm. we have two more episodes as we get down to the final 25 players if you want to hear a little bit more about the rankings the justification behind it and all of those players definitely go check that out um trying to think what else we got for you one other thing new merch link as we mentioned in the episode description but much more navigable. You can see a lot of the new merch that we have. It's a great way to be able to, if you'd like to support us, uh, we would really appreciate that. And also I think it looks pretty sharp. Uh, You know, Tanner Bybee rocked it to the ballpark. Where would the pros wear? Uh, I've always wanted to be able to say that, right? Uh, Yeah. And and we really appreciate it. We even got coffee mugs in there. If you want to just buy something cheap and, you know, have a little JB, you know, in your home. And then the last thing is download alt for free. That is in our episode description. Definitely, if you're a card collector, give that a look. We might have some exciting things in terms of Twitter spaces for potential subscribers and stuff like that. Waiting on some approval from Twitter, but keep an eye out for that. We'll keep you briefed on that um, to be able to kind of engage with you guys and talk to you guys on Twitter. So looking forward to that as well. Jack, any final thoughts? I don't think so. Pete Alonso, I think so. Hall of Famer. I love it. I'm sure we'll get some flack for that, but who cares? That'll do it. Look forward to talking baseball with you. The three of us tomorrow have a great day.